0: Tonight's message is entitled, Why So Many Churches? Why So Many Churches and How Does Bible Prophecy Show That? When you look in the Bible, you discover there's only one Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And there's only one bride of Jesus. However, what you discover in Bible prophecy is that there are two women contending for the name of Christ. There are two women contending for the name of Christ. You have what the Bible describes as the harlot woman of Revelation 17. And then you find out that there is a pure woman found in Revelation chapter 12. And you discover these two women are vying or contending for the the name of Christ. And what you begin to discover in Bible prophecy is that a woman in Bible prophecy simply represents the people of God it represents the people of God what you find in Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 2 this is what Jeremiah says I have likened or compared the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman oftentimes Christ's church is called the bride of Christ so a woman in Bible prophecy represents a group of people who are following God And what you find out is that there are two women who are vying for the affection of God. However, there's something interesting about one of the women and there's something quite unusual about the other woman. So what we find is two groups of people vying for the name of Christ. We're coming right down to the very end of this world's history. And because of it, all sorts of things are taking place. Deception is worldwide. And what we are finding is there is mass confusion. But praise the Lord for the word of God. Can you say amen to that? And we want to make sure we're following the word of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to first identify this first harlot woman. So everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Revelation chapter 17 verse 1. We need to identify this woman, this scarlet woman. Let's find out more about her and what the book of Revelation says. Revelation chapter 17 starting with verse 1. Revelation chapter 17 starting with verse 1. Revelation chapter 17, starting with verse 1. Are we all there? Okay, well, let's discover who this woman is. Page 1185. Here we go. Verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who talked, who had, excuse me, one, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great, what? Harlot, who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a what? Scarlet beast, which was full of names of what? Blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and was adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of what? Abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Look at verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Let's go just a few more verses. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and not is and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now we take a good look at some of these characteristics and what we begin to discover is that these traits begin to help us identify very clearly who this beast power is. We have seen her before. Well, let's take a good look at this. Number one, she is called a harlot. Does anybody know what a harlot is? A prostitute. prostitute. That's exactly right. The Bible makes it very clear this woman is a prostitute. In other words, she's selling her body for what? Money. We also discover she's dressed in purple and scarlet. You know why that's very interesting? Because when you go to the Old Testament, only the priests were dressed in purple and scarlet. It was a way of as a identifying the priest. And so this woman has this religious garb. So number one, she's called a harlot. Number two, she has a religious garb. Number three, she's not just called a harlot. She's called the what? mother of harlots. And she's also guilty of what? Blasphemy. Well, let's keep going with some of these identification points. She sits on seven hills or seven mountains, as the Bible says. She persecuted the saints and she ruled over the kings of the earth. So when we take a good look at all those characteristics, we have come across this power before. We have come across this church before. We know very well who this church is clearly identified as. And what we discover is about, this is referring to the Roman church system. In fact, you go out into the world and what you will discover about Rome, it's called the city on the seven hills. Exactly what Bible prophecy points out. But there's a lot more identification that's there that we need to understand. And it helps us understand why this is extremely important when it comes to Bible prophecy. What we discover is the papal power has connections all over the world, influence all over the world, not just Christian countries, but well-known third world countries whose primary religion is not Christianity. Not just Islamic countries, but even Hindu countries, we discover that the Roman papal church power has hands in nearly everything. Many world leaders will consult the pope when it comes to making big decisions, world decisions, foreign policies. And so we see very clearly that this harlot woman is none other than the same Roman church system that we have identified. We we understand from Bible prophecy that the whole world wonders after this power. We learned several quotations. And by the way, somebody also asked me a question at the table. And by the way, when I'm going around the table and I haven't met you yet, feel free to shake my hand. I'd love to meet you. Um, But somebody asked me a question about all the quotations that we're putting up. If you want, tomorrow I'm going to have about four pages of those quotes and I'll get them to you. It's all straight out of history. Would you like that? Okay, we'll make sure we get that to you tomorrow. And you see some of these quotations about blasphemy claiming to be God and claiming to have the power to what? Forgive. forgive sins." And those were the things that the Jews actually accused Jesus of, but he wasn't committing blasphemy because he really could, he really was God and really could forgive sins. We discover some of these quotations as let's continue with this. "For he is so great dignity, for he is so great dignity and power that he forms one and the same tribunal with Christ. We the popes hold upon This earth, the place of God Almighty, the Pope is not only the representative of Jesus Christ, but he is Jesus Christ himself, hidden under the veil of flesh. We discover several of these quotations from Catholic leadership, Catholic literature, identifying the title of the Pope. We also discover something very interesting, and this helps us understand more about Bible prophecy. Take a good look at this. And on her forehead, a name was what? Written. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. We discover that on this woman's name, on this woman's head, there is a very interesting name written. It's called Mystery, Babylon the Great. This isn't just like the Babylon of the old days. This is Babylon, modern day Babylon, modern day confusion. And what we discover is that Babylon throughout history has taken several different forms. But the word Babylon comes from the word Babel, which means confusion. So what this woman represents is the very essence or epicenter of confusion. Confusion about what? Confusion about God. And so the Bible makes it very clear that this woman, this entity, this power, this church has the name Babylon written. It is confusion. It is confusion. And this is very interesting because we're going to learn more. Now watch this. Revelation chapter 17. And on her forehead a name was written, mystery, Babylon the great, the what? Mother "Mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now we're learning something more about this church system. We're learning that she's a mother. But she's not just a mother of anybody. She's a mother of what? Harlots. A mother of harlots. Now, why is she the mother of harlots? What we discover from history, anybody who just looks at simple Protestant history, we discover that this church claims to be the mother church. In fact, this is on one of the well-known church of the Bishop of Rome, and it says the Holy Lateran mother, Church, mother and head of all churches in the city and in the world. So what took place in history was that the early church, as it began to grow bigger and bigger, apostatized, and as it apostatized, what happened was this church claimed to still have power. But something that took place, something that took place during the dark ages, was very interesting. But this church claims to be the mother church, the head of all churches in the city and in the world. What we discover is that during the dark ages, there were certain men. Protestant reformers who, begin, who God raised up who began to say interesting things. Individuals like Martin Luther, individuals like Calvin and Huss. And what they did is that they began to proclaim the truth of Bible prophecy. Can you say amen to that? And what happened was, is as these men broke away from this mother church, what happened was that they, many different followers went with them. So as God began to lead these individuals in the discovery of truth that was lost during the dark ages, what happened was that when these reformers would die, these people would actually set up churches around the individual. So you had individuals like Martin Luther, as God revealed to him the grace of God, that was a doctrine that was lost during the dark ages, Martin Luther began to carry it forward, but what happened was he died. And so all the people didn't go further in the discovery of truth during the Dark Ages. They just stayed put. And so the next reformer was raised up, and he would discover something new about the Bible, and what would happen is he would take it as far as he could, but then he would die. And so reformer after reformer after reformer were raised up. These individuals were called by God, handpicked by God, and they shared the light of Bible prophecy. Can you say amen to that? And so here we have the Roman Catholic Church, i.e. the Mother Church, but what took place is the Waldenses began, there were individuals who were reformers, began to proclaim the mighty truth of the Bible. And so what happened was during the Dark Ages, these individuals said, you know what, we're going to proclaim the truth that the Bible is the Word of God. But what happened was the Waldenses were were killed. They were persecuted. God raised up another reformer, John Huss, who began to teach that the Bible teaches obedience that comes by faith in Jesus. Amen? But what happened was that John Huss died, and so the next reformer was raised up, Martin Luther, and he began to preach about God's grace, his righteousness that saves us alone. Can you say amen to that? But he died, and the next reformer was raised up, John Calvin, and began to teach about sanctification. And then you had the Anabaptists, who were teaching about baptism by immersion. And then you had John Wesley, who was teaching about the holiness that comes from God. And then you have William Miller, who was talking about the second coming. And step by step, Bible truth was restored to those who were living during the time of the dark ages. Imagine a football player. He gets the ball, and he's taking that ball as far as he can, but he gets tackled, and as he gets tackled, the ball goes back, and he gets fumbled. Another individual takes it and begins to go a step further, but he gets tackled, and step by step, God was bringing the truth that was lost during the dark ages. Can he say amen to God? And this is where... Where all these churches come from, because the people who follow these individuals, they didn't continue in searching for light. They didn't continue in searching for the knowledge of God's word. Instead, they stayed with their traditions, and they stuck right there, and they didn't go any further. And so the people who followed Martin Luther said, we're not going any further. And so the Lutheran church came about. And then you have the Methodist church. And then you have all sorts of churches that were popping up because individuals didn't take the light of God's word and continue with that light. Can you say amen to that? Watch what Roger Williams says. He was the first Baptist pastor in America and he said something very interesting. Look at this. The Lutherans cannot be drawn to go beyond what Luther saw. Whatever part of his will our God has revealed to Calvin, they Lutherans would rather die than embrace it. And the Calvinists, you see, stick fast where they were left by the great man of God, who yet saw not all things. This is a misery much to be lamented. In other words, when people say, I'm not going to grow in the truth, you can't convince me about what the Bible teaches. I want to say that's a very dangerous place to be. Can you say amen to that? But step by step, God began to raise up these reformers. Unfortunately, people wouldn't grow with those reformers. They wouldn't go where the light was pointed, but they just stayed where they were at, and they missed what God was doing. He continues, For though they were precious shining lights, talking about the reformers, in their time, yet God has not revealed His whole will to them. And were they now living, they would be as ready and willing to embrace Further light as they had received. You see, during the dark ages, as the church became more corrupt, people began to outlaw the Bible. Many of the priests took away the scriptures, they outlawed it, they put it in a different language, they put it in a dungeon, and they said, no one can understand the Bible, we're going to interpret it for you. And sure enough, all these false teachings began to enter in, because people, when it based their teaching upon a thus saith the Lord. Folks, we've got to be very careful of traditions. We've got to make sure we're basing our teachings upon the scriptures. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And so what was happening during the dark ages when all these false teachings about the state of the dead and about an eternal burning hellfire and about forgiveness and false teachings about sanctification began to enter into the church, people didn't know any better. And so one individual, like for example, wanted to find forgiveness, and so what they would do is they would go to the priest, and the priest said, I'm not going to sell you any forgiveness until you buy it. And these were called indulgences. And so what was happening is that people didn't know any better about what the Bible was teaching. And so God raised up these reformers who were shining lights, and they began to... Step by step, bring back the truths that were lost during the dark ages. They call it the dark ages because the light wasn't there. The light of God's word was hidden. But folks, praise the Lord. At the very end of time, God is bringing all these truths that were found during the dark ages and bringing them back for one final conflict. Can you say amen to that? We're coming right down to the end. At the very end, God is making very clear what the Bible teaches. Can you say amen to that? Imagine this. God gives us this book for thousands of years. We have the scriptures. And so at the very end of time, God says, Well, I just wanted you guys to be really confused about it. That's why I gave it to you. No, no, no. At the very end of time, God's taking all those truths that were lost during the dark ages, and he's bringing them back, and he says, Look, follow my truth." And I love what Roger Williams says, that if the reformers were still alive, they would embrace the light as they had received it. They would have saw the light of Scripture, how clear it was, and they would continue in that progress, in that upward journey to the kingdom of heaven. Can you say amen to that? And step by step, God would restore the light that was lost. Even this is very interesting. But she's called the mother of harlots. The mother of harlots. Now, let me ask you a question. Is anybody born a harlot? No, absolutely not. Is anybody born a prostitute? Absolutely not. People become harlots. So what does this mean when the Bible is saying she's the mother of harlots? Well, we discover that many of these Protestant churches, they came about during the Dark Ages. They broke away from the mother church. In a sense, they were children of the mother church but what happened was is that recently in the last 50 60 years many of these churches who were alive during the protestant reformation began to go back to roman catholicism many of these churches that once stood for bible truth began to go back to the world look what this is this was very interesting today the heirs of that acrimony The Fracture, the leaders of the modern Lutheran and Roman Catholic churches signed a document that officially settles the central argument about the nature of faith that Luther provoked. The agreement declares, in effect, that it was all a misunderstanding. Folks, I want you to pay attention to that. This was the very thing that Luther's life was being threatened on. Here Luther was saying, we've got to find the truth in the word of God. Here Luther was saying, faith comes in the blood of Jesus. And here the Roman church was saying something else. If you want to find forgiveness, you've got to come to our priest. If you want to buy sanctification and indulgences, you've got to come to our our church. Now think about that. Here at the very end of time, oh, it was just a big misunderstanding. They really didn't know what was going on. Folks, this was the very thing that Luther's life was being threatened about. And what's happening is all these churches, they're taking a step back and they're going right back to that mother church. And that's why the Bible calls them the mother of harlots. Does that mean all those people who go to those churches are harlots? Absolutely not. God has people all over the world. Can you say amen to that? But the Bible makes it very clear that these systems are systems of the world. Systems of the world. And it's very interesting Because when you look at what's happening, when you see all the things that are taking place all over the world, God is trying to lead his people to understand the scriptures and the scriptures alone. Can you say amen to that? Revelation 18 says something to this mother, to all those in Babylon, come out of her, what? My My people. So where are God's people? In Babylon, that's exactly right. God has people all over Babylon. God has Catholics who love Him, Methodists who love Him, Presbyterians who love Him, even those who consider themselves non-denominational, individuals who in the integrity of their heart and all they know about the Scriptures are following Him. But God is making it very clear at the end of time, it's time to come out of this distortion. It's time to come out of this confusion. It's time to come out of this error and come into the light of God's word. Can you say amen to that? And what you discover is this wonderful call given at the end of time, come out of her, my what? People. Amen. Folks, when you take a good look at what's happening today in churches, A lot of people are following their, they're going to church because they love the pastor. A lot of people are going to church today because they love the worship service. A lot of people are going to church today because they love the potluck. Nothing wrong with potluck, amen? Love food. But folks, when was it that we stepped away from what the Bible is saying and we don't go to church anymore to hear about Jesus and His Word? But what's happening is the new attraction to the churches is, hey, come on to our church. We'll provide the best entertainment service for you. You come to our churches and we'll absolutely put on the best club church, club church, club church. And what happens is all these people are coming to all these churches and they're losing the reasons for why they're Christians. But God is calling us back to his word. Can you say amen to that? God is calling us back to his word. He doesn't want us to be part of systems of error. And that's why the scriptures are teaching, come out of her, my people. Can you say amen to that? When you hear the word of God and you're being convicted about it and you know what God is saying to you folks, it's because you're his people. Amen. Amen. Watch what the Baptists say. There was and is a commandment to keep holy the Sabbath day, but the Sabbath day was not Sunday. This is coming from the Baptist. It will be said, however, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh to the first day of the week. Where can the record of such a transaction be found? Not in the New Testament. Absolutely not. There is no scriptural evidence of the change of the Sabbath institution from the seventh to the first day of the week. This came from a Baptist theologian. You have the Catholic. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we Catholics never sanctify. The Church of Christ. Finally, we have the testimony of Christ on this subject. In Mark 2, verse 27, he says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. From this passage, it is evident that the Sabbath was made not merely for the Israelites, but for man—that That is for the race. Mankind, in other words. Hence, we conclude that the Sabbath was sanctified from the beginning and that it was given to Adam in Eden as one of those primeval institutions that God ordained for the happiness of all men. You take a good look at the Congregational Church. The Sunday is not in the Scriptures and was not the primitive church called the Sabbath. It was not called by the primitive church... The Sabbath. It was just simply the first day. The Lutherans. The observance of Sunday is not founded upon any command of God, but by the authority of the church. Folks, who are you going to follow? The commandments of God or the church? You've got to follow God's law. Can you say amen to that? Methodists. Take the matter of Sunday. There's no passage telling Christians to keep that day or to transfer the Sabbath to that day. Over and over again, you find all these various churches who are testifying that Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Folks, if it's not the Sabbath day, then that's not the day we are to celebrate as the Sabbath. Can you say amen to that? In fact, what the scriptures do teach is that the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, is so special. Every day we're called to worship God. Every day, if possible, to come together and fellowship. But one day especially has been set aside The Bible characterizes its holiness by saying we shouldn't work and we should avoid the worldly things. Can you say amen to that? Over and over again, God is calling his people to follow his day. But the problem is a lot of people are following man. But a lot of people are following traditions. A lot of people are following that which they're comfortable with. Oh, that's where all my friends are at. Folks, I want you to understand something. God wants you to love your friends. Amen? He wants you to love your pastor, but he calls you to follow the Bible truth. Can you say amen to that? And God calls each person to come out of this confusion, to come out of this distortion, and to follow him. Amen? God is calling the people. We discover who this harlot woman is, but the question is, wait a second, what about this other woman? Does God have a church on earth? We need to identify it straight from the word of God. Can you say amen to that? Revelation 18, come out of her, my people. If God is calling you out of something, he surely must be calling you into something. Amen? Watch what Revelation chapter 12, verse 17 says. It's very interesting. The dragon was enraged with the woman, that's the pure woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who what? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of who? Jesus Christ, God's end time people are going to be characterized by keeping the Ten Commandments and by having the testimony of Jesus Christ. But the question is, wait a second, who are God's people? What is this group called that God is calling us into? If he's calling us out of Babylon, surely he's calling us into something. When God calls you to leave a location, when he's calling you to leave churches that teach error, obviously he must be calling you into a church that's teaching the Bible truth. Can you say amen to that? But we need to make sure, we need to identify this straight from the word of God. Amen? You know, one of my uh, favorite places, I should say, it's not my, it's the least favorite place. You guys know about it. It's called the what? The fabric, store. the fabric store. That's exactly right. I go down there with my mom. I told you this story. And what happens is all the particles start entering into my nose, and I start getting allergies, and I have to walk out. My nose is a little bit bigger than most people's noses, so this is why this happens. But folks, I want you to understand something, okay? This is very, very important. When I go down to the fabric store, I often will just sit there and just lay there about to go to sleep, and usually where I'm placing my arm is on the remnant pile. Now, the remnant pile is sort of that, that, that thing that's right there in the very middle of the fabric store, and it's called the remnant pile. What is the remnant pile? The remnant pile is basically when people buy several square feet of fabric, there's usually a little bit left over. So they'll take a roll, for example, about 20 feet of fabric, and they say, I just want 18 feet of fabric. Well, what are they going to do with those two feet of fabric that are left over? They'll throw it into the remnant pile. In other words, the remnant is that which is left over or remains. Does God have a remnant? Does God have a remnant of the early church? Well, let's take a good look at some of the characteristics of God's people. They must be a remnant. They must be a what? A remnant. remnant. And what we discover from the remnant church was that love was the primary motivation for the word of God, for the mission of God, what we discover is a group of people who loved each other, who fellowshiped with each other, who did study with each other. What we discover is that the remnant church must look like the early church. Can you say amen to that? It has to recapture the authentic, unadulterated, and unmingled faith of the disciples. Amen. And so the first characteristic is we've got to find a church that looks like the early church church amen take your bible let's go to first timothy chapter 3 verse 15 well what was the early church based upon let's find out i said this to you earlier and i'll say it again that every book in the new testament that starts with t is right next to each other here paul inspired by the holy spirit is giving instructions to young timothy and he's teaching timothy about how leadership should be in the church and how there shouldn't be any backbiting or gossip And he's teaching about the deacons and the elders. And he's giving them all this instruction about how to lead and guide the church. But watch how Paul ends the instruction. Take a good look at verse 14. Excuse me. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of what? Truth. Truth. What we discover about this early church was that it was based upon the foundation of truth. Can you say amen to that? And so what we learn is that this early church must be based upon the whole truth of the word of God. Amen? If there was one false teaching that was in this church about, let's say, about hellfire, about the state of the dead, or about the Sabbath... That wouldn't be the church we're looking for. We're looking for a movement, a body of believers whose foundation is solely the word of God. Can you say amen to that? So number one, we learned that this remnant church has to look like the early church. The second qualification for this movement is they must keep all the commandments of God. Do you remember what we read in Revelation chapter 12? The dragon was angry with the remnant who keep the commandments of god and have the testimony of jesus folks what we discover from all over the world is that most christian churches are teaching that the law of god is done away with most christian churches are teaching that the sabbath you don't have to keep it so we're not looking for that we're looking for a body of believers that are teaching that the ten commandments is is something we ought to follow can you say amen to that Take a good look at the Moody Bible Institute, for example. The Sabbath was binding and eating, and it has ever been enforced since then. This fourth commandment begins with the word, remember, showing that the Sabbath already existed when God wrote the law on the tablets of stone at Sinai. How can men claim that this one commandment has been done away with with when they will admit that the other nine are still binding? The Presbyterian, until therefore it can be shown that the whole moral law has been repealed, the Sabbath will stand. The teachings of Christ confirm the perpetuity of the Sabbath. Folks, over and over again, the Pentecostals. Why do we worship on Sunday? Doesn't the Bible teach us that Saturday should be the Lord's Day? Apparently, we will have to seek the answer from some other source than the New Testament. Folks, I want you to understand something. You want to be... A part of a body of believers that is teaching the truth about the Ten Commandments, that is practicing the truth about the Ten Commandments. Can you say amen to that? Amen. i send so many people out. They'll come from this seminar and they'll go out and they'll talk to their pastors and their pastors will say all sorts of things about why they shouldn't keep the Sabbath. But folks, I want you to understand something. God will judge you based upon how much you followed his word. Can you say amen to that? You may have a lot of people who you love who go to other churches. Don't worry about them. God is working with them. And when you make your stand for the Word of God and you continue to love those other people, what you'll discover is that that Sabbath day will become more and more attractive to them. Can you say amen to that? But we want to follow the Word of God. Amen? So here we go. Number one, the remnant church has got to look like the early church. If God is calling us out of something, he's calling us into something. What's he calling us into? We're looking for a body of believers. We're looking for a movement that looks like the early church. They keep all Ten Commandments, and they're proclaiming a worldwide message. Take your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 14, are we all there? Revelation chapter 14. Let's start with verse 6. Revelation chapter 14, starting with verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the, what? Midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach those who dwell on earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Folks, I want you to understand something. This end time message, this body of believers has got to be proclaiming, has got to reach the whole world. Amen? If there's just a group of people who are down in Arizona, let's take Arizona, and they're just saying, no, we're only residing in Arizona, and that's where the truth is. Folks, that's not a body of believers we want to be a part of, Right? We've got to find this movement that is reaching the entire world. Can you say amen to that? And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a group of people who are taking the message, not just to Arizona, but to the entire world. Amen? An entire world where every nation, tribe, tongue, and people... And do you remember what Jesus said would be the last sign before he returns? He said in Matthew 24, when the gospel is preached to all the world, then the end will come. So the final sign of end time events is that the gospel is reaching the entire world. So we're looking for a body of believers that looks like the early church. They're building their faith upon the word of God, the truth. They're keeping all ten commandments. They're proclaiming a worldwide message. Can you say amen to that? All right, and number four, they're calling for a total commitment to Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 14, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. These people, this body of believers, this movement is calling for a real, genuine, legitimate commitment to Jesus. Amen? You know, some people park their holiness in the church, and when they leave the church, they're no different. But God is calling for a group of people who are 100% Christians, who are 100% following the word of God. But folks, when you allow the Holy Spirit to do that work, you're able to keep that commitment to Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So we're looking for a movement that is uplifting, not man, but uplifting Jesus and calling for a commitment to Jesus number five we're looking for a message that is proclaiming a complete message that impacts not just the mental but the physical why because when you look at the ministry of Christ what you will discover is that Christ was not only interested in the spiritual but he also cared about the physical. In fact, most of Christ's mission on earth was healing. And so we're looking for a message that is 100% biblically complete, which teaches that God is interested in not only the spiritual, not only the mental, not only the social, not only the emotional, but the physical. Can you say amen to that? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? amen. Folks, God cares about what's taking place in this world. All right, number six, we're looking for a movement that comes after 1798. Why? Because when you discover Revelation chapter 12, what you find out is that the rest of the offspring show up when the papacy loses its power. The remnant shows up when the papacy loses its power. And so we begin to understand several key characteristics. When God is calling us out of Babylon, he surely must be calling us into something. But what is that something? And we need to identify it straight from the word of God. Can you say amen to that? And number seven, this group has to possess a genuine, legitimate, prophetic gift. In other words, they've got to have something so special. Now take your Bible. I'm going to show you something very interesting. Go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17. Page 1182. Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17. Are we all there? Now, read what verse 17 says. For the dragon was what? Enraged with the who? The woman and went to make war with the? The rest of her offspring, or in some translations, they'll say remnant, who keep the what? Commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. We understand what the Ten Commandments are. We understand this group is going to keep the commandments. But what exactly is the testimony of Jesus? We need to identify this group because apparently they're doing something called keeping the testimony of Jesus. But what exactly is the testimony of Jesus? Take your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 19 verse 10. We discovered that Bible prophecy interprets Bible prophecy. Can you say amen to that? Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. This is coming right down at the end of the book of Revelation. And John the Revelator is so blown away by what he's seeing, what he's hearing, and the angel who is his guide showing him all the beautiful things of heaven. John, in just a moment of just uh, joy and glory, falls down and begins to worship this angel. But watch what the angel says to John right here. Revelation chapter 19. Are we all there? Look at verse 10. And I fell down in his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not, what? Do that. do that. Angels don't want you to worship to them. Angels don't want you to pray to them. Angels want you to pray to God and worship God. Can you say amen to that? But look at the rest of this. Watch what else the angel says. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the, what? Testimony, testimony of Jesus. Well, what is the testimony of Jesus? Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the? Spirit of prophecy. What exactly is the spirit of prophecy? What we discover the spirit of prophecy is, is that God's end time people will possess a genuine, bona fide, 100% prophetic understanding. They would have a prophetic understanding. In other words, they would be a genuine prophet. Now why? Now think of the pattern of scripture for example. Anytime God does something big, what does he do? He sends a prophet. Look at this. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his what? Servants, the prophets. What we discover, for example, that when God was about to destroy the world, he raised up a prophet by the name of Noah. When God was about to free the children of Israel from Egypt, he raised a man by the name of Moses. And when God was about to send his children of Israel into captivity, he raised up a man by the name of Jeremiah. And when God was about to free the children of Israel from uh, from Babylonian captivity, he raised up a prophet by the name of Daniel. Do you remember when Jesus came the first time? He raised up a prophet. And do you remember what this prophet's name was? John the Baptist, among them born among women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And folks, think about it. At the very end of time, the greatest event, God surely is going to send a legitimate, bona fide, 100% genuine, prophetic gift to his end time believers. But folks, who are these people? Who is this, this body of believers? Let's take a good look at those characteristics, folks. Number one, we discover that this church, this body of believers that God is calling us into will resemble the early church in truth. They're going to be preaching the word of God. Can you say amen to that? Number two, they will keep all the commandments of Jesus. Number three, they will possess a genuine prophetic gift. Number four, they will call for a total commitment to Jesus and number five, they will proclaim a worldwide message. We're not just looking for a group that's just located in Arizona and it's only preaching to the Arizonians. Amen? Number six, they're going to come after 1798, after the fall of the papacy. God is bringing all this truth right down to the very end in this final movement. And they will have a message that impacts both the spiritual and physical. Folks, when you take a good look at all these characteristics, what God is calling us into... We're going to have to stop. You know why we're going to have to stop? Because I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Not right now. I want you to pray. Because tomorrow night, we're going to learn about this body of believers that God is calling us into. And you're going to see how the Bible clearly identifies this movement that God is calling us into. But the first step is, before you can be called into this movement, you've got to come out of Babylon. God is calling you out of this confusion. God is calling you out of that confusion. He is calling you out of this distortion. He is calling you out of all those things that are error, and He's calling you into the beautiful truth of the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? Folks, God doesn't call you to follow blind leaders. The blind shall lead the blind. Amen? He calls you to follow the Word of God. And the very end of time, God is shining the light of His truth, and He is exposing it to the entire world. But folks, God says you must come out of Babylon. You must come out of those things. You might have been somebody who was struggling with that decision. I love my church. I love my pastor. I love the. You can keep on loving them, but God calls you to follow Him. Amen. God calls you to follow Him. Genesis chapter twenty-two, verse eighteen. Abraham. Came out of literal Babylon, earth of the Chaldees. Look what the Bible says. In all the seed, of the on your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God told Abraham, follow me, listen to my voice. And Abraham followed him. You look at Exodus 19 verse 5. God speaking to the Israelites. Now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the earth for all, all people for all the earth is mine. Look what God was telling the Israelites through Jeremiah. But this is what I commanded them. Saying obey my voice and I will be your God. And you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you. And it may be well with you. You take a good look. More what Jeremiah is saying. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Until this day rising early. And exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. And you continue to John chapter 10. Jesus telling the disciples, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, because they're in Babylon. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. You take a good look at John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep what? Hear my voice. You've heard the voice of God. You've heard the scriptures. The last few weeks, you have heard the word of God. You know what the voice of God is saying to you. You take a good look at John chapter 18. Jesus was standing before Pilate, a man who had much to lose in following Jesus, but he had no idea he would have gained everything. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Folks, do you love the truth? Do you love the Word of God? Then watch what Revelation 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice. If you hear what the Word of God is saying clearly, if you hear the voice of God, Jesus said, Open the door. You're the only one who can open the door of your heart. You're the only one who can open the door of your heart. Jesus said, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And finally, Revelation 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice out of heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. God is calling you out of Babylon and into the truth of his word. He is calling you to follow him folks, but the first step is making a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow His voice. I'm going to follow Him as He leads my life. Folks, God has called you for such a time as this. If you're hearing this tonight, it's because the Lord loves you, and He is calling out to you to follow Him. And if you're hearing, He calls you out of that error, and He says, make a stand for that truth. Follow me. Follow me. Folks, Do you hear the voice of God tonight? Do you hear God speaking to you to follow Him? You may be struggling with some things, but the Lord is speaking to you tonight. Follow Him. You may be somebody who's confronted with error, but God is not calling you to worry about the people. He says, you follow Him. You follow Him. God is calling you to stand up for the truth. He is calling you to be obedient to the truth. You can't worry about everybody else, but even in your witness and being obedient to that truth, others will follow. They will see your witness. Amen? How many people are raising their hands once say, Lord, I want to come out of Babylon. I want to follow the truth of the word of God. I want you to raise your hand. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, God, I know that we may be part of families we love with our heart who you love who are angry that we're following the truth of the word of God. But Lord, you called us to follow you. Lord, I know there's people here who attend other churches and you love those people, Lord. But you call us to follow the word. Father in heaven, you know our life, our life may be just Babylonian, full of error and confusion, but you call us to follow you. Father in heaven, you know every person's heart right now. Just pray that you would just give them this faithfulness and the courage to follow you to follow you, and bring us back tomorrow, God, to hear about prophecies, worship. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.